interested in using money. Oh, uh-oh. I'm live. Uh-oh. And unless you're rich enough to have somebody else manage it for you, then you've got to do that yourself. And quite often, there's not a whole lot of classes that you took in high school or college or whatever, uh, you know, telling you how to make ends meet. All of a sudden, you can be thrust into a job or another circumstance and really just don't exactly know, you know what to do or how to do the things you need to do in order to survive from a financial standpoint. So I've been doing this now for about 40 years or so, uh, managing either my own money or the money of the organizations that I work for. Uh, I'm a CPA. I work as a controller for a medical association in Irving. And I've been there for about 11 years since Joanne and I moved here about 11 years ago. And so hopefully in understanding where we're going to try and take this class in, in terms of these four categories, you know, feel free to ask questions. I really encourage you to do that because that's how you're going to learn. And I hope to, in the course of all of this, I don't have all the answers, but I want to be able to give you enough to start thinking about certain things and how to deal with that management. Uh, first and foremost, you need to make one fundamental decision. And I'm going to be referring to this handout as we go through the evening in terms of what is God's financial plan for you and your life? I think, first of all, you need to acknowledge that all that you have comes from God. You need to accept that you're merely a steward taking care of what He has entrusted you with. And it's like many stories within the Bible that you've heard. The more that you're a good, faithful steward, the more you'll be able to accumulate more money and be able to do more things with it. Third, and very important, you need to honor God by tithing. A very, very critical part. I've often heard, and Pastor Ray may be able to even confirm this for me, but a, a tremendous number of the stories within the Bible, many, many, many deal with handling money and on all aspects of it. And we need to follow God's laws in terms of handling that money. You need to accept that situation. It's difficult for us to do sometimes because our natural tendency is to think we're in control. And while we certainly control what we do, we have that free will, we also have to accept the consequences of what we do or don't do. So the key is to ask God, to help you make the good financial decisions and to be good stewards within your life. So the one thing I'm going to ask right now, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, of course, but if you were to grade yourself, A being for excellent, E being for needs a little bit of improvement, where mentally would you find yourself in what you think how you've handled your money up to this point in your life? Are you an A, a B, C, D? It's interesting that D is further down the road, and D also starts the word debt. And that's what we're going to be talking about even more so as we get into that tonight. But keep in mind that wherever that grade level is, let's say you put yourself at a C, I would like to think 
that by the time we're through with this, you will have at least progressed another letter grade in thinking about things that you're going to be able to do in your life to improve that financial management. So you might ask me, well, how do you know that uh, you know, God has all these interesting, wonderful plans and I should be following his plan? And, you know, where does all that come from? Well, in the handout that I gave you uh, on the third page, uh, there are five biblical references, very key biblical references, in terms of money and how God views our handling of it. Stewardship, we mentioned that earlier. My reference there is Matthew 25, 14 to 30. I'm not going to go through and read all of these, but that's the parable of the talents, which most of you are familiar with. Tithing, which is in Malachi 3.8. The ugly part to all of this is paying taxes. And hopefully everybody took care of that a few days ago. But we'll be talking about that a little bit more. You have a couple of references there between uh, Matthew 22 and Matthew 17 in terms of giving to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Very important scripture reference. Taking care of your family in Timothy 5.8. We have a solemn duty, in my opinion, to take care of our family. And there it is right in the Bible telling you so. It's just not me upstairs standing saying it. And last, handling debt, Psalm 38, 21. And I think it's worth saying, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous show mercy and give. And that's a very, very critical point to what we're talking about tonight. Now, many of you may have heard people say, and there are many, many, many people giving financial seminars, and they're saying, you know, debt is bad, debt is horrible, debt is ugly. Uh, yeah, there are certain parts of debt that are not real good. You have to pay people back if you borrow. But not debt is all bad. In our particular society, it's extremely difficult to acquire certain needs without incurring some amount of debt. It would be very difficult for us to pay all cash for a house, for example, or even a car. Certain needs that we have within our society are critical to how we operate. If I've got to get to a job, I need that car. I need to take care of my family, so I need some sort of housing, whether it be an apartment, whether it be a home. I need to be able to arrange for that, and I find myself having to go into some sort of debt arrangement quite often to do that. That is not inherently bad. The critical point, which is what I just repeated in Psalm, is not paying it back as you've agreed to do. Debt is not bad. Debt is bad when you don't pay it back, which is what you have agreed and promised to do many times in writing. <coughs> so what kind of debts do we have in, in, in our world today? Um, what kind of debt do you have? A mortgage, perhaps? Two mortgages, two car payments. College. College. Um, how about maybe a uh, personal loan? I'm sorry? Babysitting. <laughs> Babysitting. 
We have uh, credit cards. Credit cards probably make up the biggest section of debt in our entire society. Huge, huge debt on credit cards. And how many knows what the interest rate on credit cards is? 20 plus. Mortgage today is 2 3% maybe, depending on where you are and what you're looking at. Credit card debt is the highest, and it is also the most extensive debt you can possibly have. We're going to be talking about a little bit about how to manage some of those credit cards and how to manage them correctly. College loans. Perhaps some of you here may have an old college loan. That is a huge amount of debt. Uh, there's a friend of mine who is attending school at Duke. He's going to be a, a doctor, I believe. Well, his debt that he is incurring every year he's at Duke is between a quarter of a million and a half a million dollars. And I'm not exaggerating. When he's done after graduating five, six years, whatever the curriculum is, he'll probably have three or four million dollars in debt. I don't care if you're the best neurologist in the world. That's real money. And it's tough to pay that back. And I will mention also that if you, even if you declare bankruptcy, a college loan is almost impossible to discharge. So you're on the hook. Before you buy anything and incur that debt, I like to ask myself a lot of questions. And these happen to be on page six of the handouts you were given. And that deals with things that you may want to ask yourself as you're thinking about maybe buying that house, buying that car. First of all, is it a necessity? Is it something you have to have or something you want to have? I'd like to have a brand new Lamborghini. But Joanne hasn't quite let me have a quarter of a million dollars to do it. Uh, you have a very good point there. <laughs> but even a Rolls, uh, maybe a couple hundred thousand, that would be a tough sell as well. She's nice to me, but she's not that nice. Can you do without this? Is this the best possible buy? If you're looking at your family situation and I have a choice between uh, an average car, maybe a Ford Taurus or a Honda Accord, or I'm looking at maybe a much larger, much nicer, much more luxurious car, which would certainly be nice to have with all the bells and whistles, is that really the best stewardship of the money that I'm going to be spending? And we all know cars can cost you anywhere from Ten, fifteen thousand dollars new, well up to several hundred thousand. Do your research. Uh, many of you may have access to, certainly online. Uh, in fact, do most people here have access to email in some fashion? Okay. Or internet. Uh, look at Consumer Reports. I look there all the time to see if I'm going to get a good deal on a. Uh, maybe an iPad or maybe some other thing I want to buy, uh, a car perhaps. Uh, look at its reliability. 
look at the different options, even a cell phone. You can compare the, the Apples to the Verizons, the Droids, and so forth. Consumer Reports is an excellent source to find out how those things uh, work and are, are, are reliable or not. Does what you're going to buy add to your family relationship? Is it something that will strengthen your family? Or is it something that will cause a problem within that family because you spent money that maybe you weren't in agreement on? And last, can you afford the monthly payment on what you're going to buy? If I'm looking at a house that's in Garland, perhaps, or it's in Highland Park, which one can I afford and which one can I not afford? Or somewhere in between. Perhaps those are extremes. But the point being is that I've got to be certain that whatever I'm buying makes good sense, it's good stewardship, and I can afford to make the payment. We're going to be talking about budgeting in great detail next week. We've got to be able to find a way to afford and to put within our budget that monthly payment. You just don't go buy and then say, thank you very much, and then try to figure out where the money's going to come from. I'm not saying that when you go through all of this that you don't do something for fun. I do things a lot, and jo Joanne will also tell you that I buy some things that are fun. But I do it within some sort of balance of my priorities. Even when we first started out 40 years ago, uh, we tried to mix doing things with a proper stewardship fashion, but at the same time, trying to budget money to enjoy ourselves as well. To Maybe you didn't take a vacation to Europe, but maybe I went to Branson instead. There's a whole lot of difference between the two. Proverbs says in 1815, the heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. I think that pretty much speaks for itself. So now we're going to get a little practical with that as a backdrop. So you've got debts to deal with. First of all, let's take an inventory of what you owe. How much exactly do you owe? It's amazing how many people may simply acquire debts and not have any idea at all what it all amounts to between looking at my car, my house, maybe a boat, maybe a college loan, uh, God forbid, maybe the IRS. Uh, you have to look at all of those and say, okay, how much do I owe and, and how much do I have to pay every month to meet my obligation? And that's the critical point. It's great to be able to not have debt, but at the same time, I can have it as long as I can meet the obligation that that debt is requiring of me to make. That's the critical point that you have to understand. If you're in a situation where you can't meet those obligations, then you have to say to yourself, okay, I'm in bondage. I may not think of myself in bondage, with my hands tied or behind my back, but I am in bondage. 
I am looking at all of this debt and I'm getting to a point of perhaps being overwhelmed by it. And it cannot be, it doesn't necessarily have to be five loans or two loans. I've known people with seventy, eighty, a hundred thousand dollars in debt on credit cards. The credit card is the easiest thing in the world to use and the hardest thing in the world to use correctly. So let's say maybe I owe $5,000 on some debt and I'm having a problem meeting that obligation. Maybe I owe $100 a month, but I can only afford 60. So what do I do? Well, the first thing that I would do is first, it's like an alcoholic. You admit that you have a problem. You say to yourself, I've got this obligation. I'm not going to walk away from it. I've got to deal with it. What do I do? First thing you're going to want to do is contact the lender. Be honest with them. If they haven't harassed you by this point, there will come a day that they will. So if you contact that lender and say, hey, look, I owe you $100 a month. I can only afford to pay 60 Can you cut me a little bit of slack? Can we work out an arrangement to where maybe I pay you interest only or I rewrite my notes to where instead of that $100 a month for the next four years, maybe I'm going to pay you $60 a month for the next five years or however those numbers might work. Get your hands around that particular item. It's like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So I'm going to approach this problem one loan at a time. I'm going to approach that vent lender and say, here's what I can afford. Can you help me? That vendor doesn't want to take your house back. That vendor doesn't want to take your car back. He doesn't want your old sofa in your living room. He wants his money. And so you, most of the time you're going to see that lender willing to work with you because He's going to get something out of you instead of nothing because he knows he could end up with nothing. So you're approaching him, which is going to impress him in and of itself because you're taking a very proactive, aggressive view to solving that problem. And that's what you need to do. And you need to do that on every loan that you may have. And the critical point that you need to understand is that once you've agreed, if that lender says, okay, I'll take $60 a month now for five years, whatever you've worked out, keep that promise. Don't make a hollow promise just to get by that day knowing that it's a promise you're going to break three months down the road. Keep that promise. Make sure that he knows that he's made a good deal and you'll both be happier for it and you'll be honoring God by what you have done. If you end up rewriting uh, a car loan, for example, the thing you want to do is to get whatever arrangement that you've had with that new deal, with that lender, get, it in, get some evidence of it in writing. Even if it's an email. People, either by accident or on purpose, can have short memories. 
if you've made a new deal with a finance company or somebody else, that person that you made the deal with may leave the company tomorrow. And all of a sudden, there's no evidence of what new arrangements you've made. So whatever new arrangements you've made, whatever monthly payment that you've now agreed to, get some evidence in writing of the new deal that you have just constructed. Very, very important. It's not that people are out to get you or anything like that, but things happen. Either, either by virtue of short memories or people changing jobs or there's new management. Any of these things can happen. Get whatever you've negotiated in writing. When you're dealing with the loans, I would also contact those first that have the highest interest rate. Typically, that's credit cards. Although there are other loans that are much higher. I don't know if any of you, hopefully not, have experienced what uh, a lot of people call payday loans. And that's, in fact, I just saw an advertisement. Uh, I think it was, it was in the TV or the radio that I, that I heard where, uh, come on down, give us your car, we'll be happy, give you money, I need money. Money, 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 money. Right on the, you know, that's great, give me money. And you've got somebody there, you know, just throwing money at you, saying, oh, great, this is wonderful. They don't say a whole lot about paying it back. Or the, char or the fact that they can charge you 60 70%. And you may as well go to a loan shark. Because the payday loans are by far, other than going to a loan shark, the most expensive loan you could ever possibly have. So avoid those at all costs, even though they may look good today. They may not be tomorrow. This negotiation tactic does work. I'll tell you just a very brief story. Joanne and I used to go to a church called Hillcrest Church. You may have heard of it. It was uh, in northeast Dallas. Uh, they ran into some tough times. Without going through all the gory details, uh, they owed the mortgage company $10 million. They could not afford $10 million on the amount of attendance they had there. And I'm not telling you anything that's not a matter of public record. But the mortgage company, we, our monthly payment was, I think, $60,000. No. So it was huge. Interest and principal. But what we did is exactly where you're going, Pastor Ray. I talked to the bank, and it was the Bank of the West at the time, which is out in California. Uh, they let us pay interest only for the last two years before the church ultimately was sold. So what was 60000 they let us pay about, I think it was either eighteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, which is still pretty hefty. But you cut it by a third and allow the church to still do what it did until it was able to take those next steps. So the process does work whether you owe $5,000 or whether you owe $10 million. These people will work with you if you work with them. So let's say you don't 
have some money to make these deals. Let's say that you're even further in the hole than you want to think about, and you're even in more bonds than what we've talked about. What do you do? There are options. There are always options. It's just they get more painful as the situation goes further down that road. Maybe you have the ability to borrow some money, perhaps from a family member. Maybe you have a pension account or a 401k account where you live, or work, I should say, that you can borrow against. Or maybe you've got some asset that you can sell. Maybe you've got a car that's a little bit more than what you need. Or maybe you've got a boat or something like that. Or something else. Or maybe you're driving a more expensive car and you can scale down. You can sell those assets and try to then use that money to work out whatever payments you need to work out. The key is to do everything you possibly can to pay back what you've agreed to pay back on the original debt. It's one thing to be an ostrich and hope that you win the lottery. It doesn't happen too often. And as many of you may have heard in the news, even if you win that lottery, many lottery winners are broke after the first couple of years. You have to learn how to handle your money correctly, as we talked about earlier. A subject you can't avoid when you start talking about debt is the word bankruptcy. If push comes to shove, your back is up against the wall, you don't know what to do, you declare bankruptcy. The thing you have to remember is that bankruptcy is a very, very difficult decision to make. First of all, it's not free. You usually have to get an attorney involved, and that can cost several thousand dollars. Second of which, it won't discharge all debts. It may get rid of your car loan. It may get rid of your... Uh, credit cards, but as we talked about earlier, it won't get rid of college debt. And depending on the nature of it, it may not necessarily get rid of all of your IRS debt. So you could still be faced with college loans and IRS debt even after you declared bankruptcy. But perhaps more fundamental, bankruptcy says... I'm not paying what I owe, which is violating God's principle that we talked about in Psalms earlier. So ask yourself, is this really necessary? Have I explored every possible alternative in terms of dealing with that debt? And remember, even if you do declare bankruptcy, and I'm not sitting here passing judgment, because I'm not walking in those shoes and I'm not condemning you 
in any way, shape, or form in terms of doing what you feel that you need to do to deal with these. But you have to ask yourself very carefully if you've exhausted all of your alternatives and am I following what God wants me to do in terms of handling my money? And I have to realize as well that maybe I'm fixing a short-term problem, but what got me here to begin with? And even if I wipe the slate clean, what happens after that? I've got to change what I'm doing or I'm going to end up in the very same place in the near future and I've got to wait seven years before I can declare bankruptcy again. So it's something that you think very hard and very long about in terms of dealing with. For the moment, let us go beyond those extremes and then talk about managing what I call normal debt. Let's say we're doing what we say we're doing and what we've promised to do. I'm make, paying my mortgage on time. I'm making my car loan payment on time. Credit cards, something I have to deal with. Everybody here filed their tax return yesterday? <laughs> or day before? <laughs> or extended, I should say. I'm not asking for a show of hands. <laughs> Extensions are fine as long as you've paid what you owe Uncle Sam. That's perfectly fine. But the tax filings can be rather onerous, can be rather challenging. I know people who have never filed a tax return. Wouldn't you like to be there when Uncle Sam knocks on their door someday? It is uh, you fly under the radar. You know, it's, uh, if all you've done is odd jobs, uh, maybe you've been paid under the table, maybe you're working as a handyman and, you know, you didn't get a W-2. Um, it happens. That's very, that's a, Exactly. And that's the way most situations are. Uh, but sad to say that there are other people that don't follow those very same thoughts. And uh, filing your taxes, which is, I hate to do. I absolutely hate to do it. I was just very thankful when... Thank you, Lord, that you created programs like TurboTax and Tax Act so that all i got to do now is plug in numbers and there it is. I really love that. Up until then, I just, you know, I just hate to go through all of the crunching and everything else. And I, do, I work with numbers all day, so I, I, I'm just one of those things. But in any event, um, mortgages. If you've got a mortgage today... Uh, and again, it's, it's going to vary a little bit with everybody, but if you've got a mortgage today and maybe you're paying 4 or 5%, please look real hard at doing a refi, refinancing. Particularly if you can improve yourself by at least two percentage points. And if you think you're going to be living in that house for a couple of years, 
so that you, whatever closing costs that go along with that allow you to justify uh, in the savings. Look into a 15-year mortgage instead of 30. It will help you get to the point where you are not making a house payment when you're my age or even older. There are many people that are making house payments well into their 70s and 80s. And that, to me, is just extremely scary. But that's what a lot of things have come to. So from a mortgage standpoint, if you can afford it, pay as much of it as you possibly can as soon as you can. The money is dirt cheap. It won't last forever that way. Of course, I, I've been saying that for a long time. It's well worth doing. Absolutely. And the, the, the nice part about that is then you don't really have that worry hanging over your head. Exactly. It really is. You know, if if you can create that comfort level and being able to do something like that and to take that extra worry off of what you're thinking about in terms of everything else, you know, it, these interest rates today will not last forever. When Joanne and I first moved to this part of the country, and I think it was in 1985, we ended up getting a 12% FHA mortgage, and we're happy we got 
things change. 1985. Now, where is it today? <laughs> you know, 2 3% or whatever it is for 30 uh, and so forth. I mean, these are things to think real hard and long about, but do it. Um, car loans, the very same thing. I got a um, flyer from my credit union the other day. I can get one point, assuming you don't qualify for some of the 0% deals that they have going on, uh, I can get a car loan on a three-year-old car for like 1.75%. I mean, and that was nobody special. It's in print, and it's just not coming to me. It's coming to every member of the credit union I belong to. So there are good deals out there if you've got to go and go do that route. But do your homework. Don't let the car dealer talk you into everything and say, this is great and wonderful and we'll use our, you know, the, the finance arm that he has over here or whatever they have going on. Do your homework. If you don't know what to do, find somebody that you trust and ask them. Somebody that you know that knows a little bit about business or interest or anything along those lines. There's no shame in that. There's a lot of things I don't know about a lot of stuff, and I end up talking to my son-in-laws who teach me all this tech stuff and everything else. And I'm happy to talk taxes with them, and they can talk bits and bytes to me. You know, so we're both happy. And that's the way you can do these things and understand and feel good about what you're doing. Do your homework. My favorite subject is credit cards. If you can, whatever balance you create in a month, pay it off the next month. The full balance. You have a 25-day grace period usually. You pay no interest. That's the best way to do it if you can do that. If you find yourself carrying a little bit of an and I will make one footnote to that. If you're able to do that, find yourself a card with no fee. There are lots of cards out there that don't charge a fee. American Express used to charge fees for cards for years. All of a sudden, they woke up someday when Visa and MasterCard wasn't charging fees and said, oh, I guess we'll offer Optima or whatever other cards they may have, and it doesn't have a fee. So get that no-fee card if you're able to do that. If you find yourself in a situation where you've got to carry a little bit of a balance, try not to carry it too long, but find a card that's got the lowest rate possible. If you look in a magazine like Money Magazine, and I'm sure there are other references online, you can find interest rates varying anywhere from 7 8% to 22%. Find a low rate card. And pick a card that gives you a little bit of extra. Almost all of these cards will do something for you along the line of miles or some sort of perk or cash back. Do some shopping. Make sure you're getting the best deal on the best card that you can possibly find. There's all sorts of things out there, all sorts of deals. Everyone's got something different. Do your homework on those cards. When you're processing your card, I've got the bills. Match the statement that you, the bank sends you 
with the receipts and keep your receipts from the restaurant or auto parts store or wherever it is that you went. Keep those receipts and match those receipts against your credit card statement. Not only does it make sure that the bank charges you correctly, but you'd be amazed sometimes that banks make mistakes and there are charges on there that shouldn't be there. And I'll go one step further and we'll talk about it in just another moment and that is identity theft. Very, very critical, important stuff. If we had the time, I'd let Joanne tell her story. She had her identity stolen. You can find charges on credit cards that are not yours. And yes, you may be only responsible for 50 bucks, but guess what? There could be a whole lot else happening behind the scenes that you don't see and don't know about until it's too late. So check your credit card statements and make sure that what you're being charged for is legitimate, honest, good charges. If you can't manage a credit card correctly, but you need some sort of card along those lines, there are other options. Many of you may have a debit card. There's also what they call a secured credit card. People who have gone through bankruptcy, for example, could go through and, and get a secured credit card. A secured credit card basically allows you to charge money on that card, but it's secured by a security deposit that you've put against the card itself. So you've paid for it. It's just giving you a little bit of convenience. But it is an option. If you find yourself unable to do that, I have a real simple statement I guess I'll make, and that's take that credit card and cut it out. Because if you find yourself, for whatever reason, not able to manage that card as we've talked about, do yourself and your entire family a lesson and don't use it because it will just give you some trouble in the long run. That may seem a little extreme, but you're better off for it in the long run. We talked a little bit earlier about things like IRS debt. Hopefully nobody here has anything like that that they're dealing with. But if you are, be very aggressive with those folks. And by that I mean talk to them. Work out a deal. Work out an installment plan. Don't hide forever. Unless you're extremely fortunate, they will find you. And when they do, you have to ask yourself, do I like how I look in orange? Because that's what can happen. The last part that I will talk about deals with what I call avoiding unnecessary debt. If you're aware of it, great. If not, check your annual credit, check your credit report. How many have done that? The rest of you should. You can do it for free online at a website called www.annualcreditreport.com. There are three credit agencies, uh, Experian, TransUnion, Equifax. 
Where do they get these strange names? I have no idea. But you go to annualcreditreport.com, you can get a free credit report once a year. So what do you do? Get one credit report every four months and pick a different company every four months. So you get a credit report three times a year and you just roll over again the next year. Most likely, what's on one report is probably going to be on all three. So check that credit report and make sure that what's there is correct. Again, Joanne could teach the class on how to deal with fixing your credit report. It can be extremely frustrating, extremely maddening, makes you want to punch somebody. But be persistent and you can deal with it and get it fixed because it's well worth doing. But check that credit report because you may not know you have an issue until all of a sudden you see something that says, oh my gosh, somebody took out credit in my name. There's a Home Depot loan there for $10,000 and I had nothing to do with it and it's going against my credit. And oh, by the way, that person didn't pay the bill. What has that done to your credit? Check that credit report. Never, never, never give personal information in an email unless you're 100% certain it's safe. I wouldn't, unless I'm 100% certain that the connection I have and the people I'm talking to are legitimate, I would not do it. I'm going to read you, uh, I've heard of, this, of these things happening to people, but I'm going to read you a little email and see how you would react to it. Um, I'm taking a little bit of liberty here with you, Pastor Ray. This is, just came from Pastor Ray, and you receive this in your email account. It's headed, My Terrible Trip. I just went to the Caribbean on this cruise. All my cash and credit card, including my cell phone, were stolen. But luckily for me, I still have my passports. My flight leaves in a couple of hours to come home. But I'm having problems settling my final accounts with the, with the uh, cruise line. And the manager won't let me leave until I settle these bills. I need you to loan me $1,000. I'll refund it to you as soon as I get back to the church in a couple of days. Write me as soon as you can and let me know so I can give you the information on where to send it. What would you do? <laughs> These are very real. Absolutely. These things can be very, very real and obviously very timely, whether it's with Gerald or Pastor Ray or whomever. And obviously, I just made this up. But this is an actual email I got two days ago with another name on it, and I just put Pastor Ray in there instead.
Mm -hmm. They're getting much more creative. Very, there's not a day that goes by that I don't have a Nigerian king wanting to give me $10 million. And, pardon me? Yeah? There are machines around that uh, have an ability to read the barcoding and so forth on the back of your credit cards and get the uh, credit card number and so forth and then obviously go on a spending spree. So, I mean, all of this stuff is so real. We could spend hours just talking about it. But the bottom line is be very judicious and be very, very cautious and skeptical when you see this stuff. I mean, it's as harmless as this... Uh, FedEx telling me to uh, push here for a receipt and go down and get a package I need and at the same time give them all the information on who and what I am by simply pushing a button or allowing them into my email account and scamming me and doing the rest of the things we've talked about. This is the debt that you can occur that you shouldn't, that you don't need to have happen to you. So please be very, very careful about how you handle that and what you do and where you go with it. The last thing I'll mention tonight is insurance. Insurance can be one of those things where you say to yourself, I really don't need it. I haven't filed a claim in years. Um, why do I want that? Well, if you don't have it, even to some catastrophic degree, it can really, really be very painful and put you into debt for a long, long time. Think of what might happen if you didn't have liability insurance on, say, your car, and you caused an accident. Or if your home was destroyed by a tornado and you had no insurance. These things happen. So build into what we will talk next week about is a budget, build into that budget an amount to insure yourself and protect yourself against those calamities. You can usually have high enough deductibles to where the amount that we're talking about is not a huge amount of money. And at the same time, it will afford you the ability to have some protection against the catastrophic issue of a house being destroyed or a huge liability claim, or something to that effect. So consider very strongly having insurance to protect you against those catastrophic things. Next week we will talk about budgets. 
will go into a lot of detail of how to put together a budget. Things that we talked about tonight are all going to go into there as different components. Mortgage payments, perhaps insurance payments, uh, tithing, uh, everything else that goes into putting a budget together and then relating that to our income to where we find a way to make the ends meet so that I don't do what the federal government does. Because we don't have an ability to print money. We don't have an ability to have an unlimited way of borrowing. We have to find a way of making our ends meet. And beyond what the government does, it's God's way of having us be good stewards over our money and managing it all correctly as he wants us to do. And the better steward I am, the more money, the more opportunity we'll be given to be stewards over. Anybody have any questions? Not necessarily. That, that's the critical point right there. If you take the initiative to go there, and I can't predict what your bank is going to say. They all have their own ways of dealing with things, but my experience has been, in most cases, number one, they'll respect you for going there and showing them that you are aggressively wanting to deal with the problem becomes, before it becomes an issue. And what happens on a credit report is that you get negative notes or what have you on a credit report because you're not paying and the bank is reporting to you as being past due or not paying at all. Well, if you arrange a new deal, again, get it in writing, but if you arrange that new deal with the bank and say, okay, instead of 100, I'm going to pay you 60, and they agree to that, then all of a sudden you are doing what that new deal is and you're not past due as they're looking at you. That's what I would do. See what they say. Yes, sir. Leasing vehicles? Um, I would say it depends on what your driving habits are. Um, if you drive a lot and you just beat a car up, um, what will happen is that you can get charged a lot for extra mileage on, on a lease. But at the same time, uh, you may be able to write that off either from a business perspective or what have you, and you're going to get a car that is not going to have 80,000 miles on it after two years. I would look at the lease cost, assuming that you're just saying, okay, I'm just going to drive this thing back and forth to work, and my mileage is 12, 15, 18,000 miles a year, something like that. I'd look at the lease cost, and then I would look at what it would cost if I were to buy that car outright. And then ultimately, because depending on how that lease is written, at the end of that lease, they, they could say to you, well, uh, this car is worth only $5,000. Uh, we've got this thing depreciated to uh, $4,000 or something like that. Maybe you owe us $1,000. Different leases are going to be written different ways. 
So you have to really compare how much I think I'm going to spend on this lease over two years and how much I would spend if I bought the car. Generally, if you're going to keep a car over about three years, I have a tendency to buy something and drive it into the ground for about 10 years, then you're better off buying it, my opinion. Especially if you have the ability to do perhaps a little bit of maintenance on your own and don't have to you know, rely on other people to do some of that maintenance. Any other questions? Well, I thank you for coming. I really appreciate that. Uh, we'll go into budgeting in great detail next week. Um, maybe even have a little bit of homework because we may be talking about you doing your own budgets and understanding how all that comes out. Uh, you're not going to hand the homework in, so don't worry about that. <laughs> but uh, we will go through that in a lot of detail so that at the end of the day, you're able to put together a budget for what is your income and what your expenses are. And then you may find out that I've got to do something to either get a little bit more income or I've got to cut a little bit in the way of expenses. Or hopefully, the ends are meeting and I'm okay. Thank you.